from Kirkco Media. So what you gonna do about it? So, welcome to Politics. Meet me in the middle. This is a weird show. Joey Salvia, our producer, uh, he's in charge this show. And I'm a bit nervous because, well, well, he's in charge. And if you knew his sense of humor, you'd understand why I'm sitting here just kind of waiting to see what happens. So, let me introduce our producer of Politics, Meet Me in the Middle, Joey Salvia. Thank you, Bill. This episode is going to be a little different. (laughs) We're going to focus on trending topics in the news and social media, mostly political Twitter, and then ask our host, who'll be playing the guest this episode, sort of, about his thoughts, feelings, and opinions on some of these topics. Plus, later, we'll do a get-to-know Bill a bit more. With the producer's lightning round. Oh, brother. Because we all love a good lightning round. I told you this was going to be a problem. (laughs) And the bonus question that might help us understand how and why political belief systems change over time. Uh Uh-oh. This episode is not a test, and our host has no idea what I'm going to ask him. It's a producer's special of politics. Meet me in the middle. I'm not Bill Curtis. (laughs) Okay, let's start the show. Okay. Bill, what was the first platform that introduced you to social media? Probably early Facebook. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm not that good at it now. <laughs> when when Facebook first started, it was, it was something, uh, as you know, associated with colleges. Mm-hmm. And it was fun back then. And, you know, now it's a little different. It was kind of fun because you were getting to find people that you hadn't seen in 20, 30 years, right? Like, oh, wow, guess who I found on Facebook, you tell somebody, right? Which is really weird because they don't look any better than I look now. So, you know, every, <laughs> everybody has kind of gone to hell in a handbasket. And so is Facebook for that matter. Do you do Twitter? Uh, no, I'm mostly a LinkedIn guy. Ah, LinkedIn, the safe end of the pool. We're going to go deep here, the dangerous end of the pool. Twitter, very polarizing. I'm going to read you some tweets. And I'd like you to react to them, Bill. And we'll start with this one. It's a trending topic, and it happens to be a political poll. While we're recording this on May 11, 2021, a recent AP poll shows that in the fourth month of his presidency, President Joe Biden's overall approval rating is 63%. The Biden COVID-19 pandemic response has a 71% approval rating. This includes over 40% Republicans. 54% say the country's right on track highest since 2017. What's your take on these numbers, Bill, and the evaluation of President Joe Biden's performance? Well, first of all, you know what they say is that there are lies, there are damn lies and statistics. Mm -hmm. I would have to ask, really, who are they really interviewing there? Mm. You know, we had a funny show a while back with Patrick Murray, who ran Monmouth polling. We got on him pretty heavy because of how they screwed up the second election in a row. And I'd have to say that the polling for me is all in question. But in general, I think people got tired of the melodrama of our last president. They're kind of excited at the idea that there's somebody who is presidential in the office. Certainly, the effort in vaccinating people has been a success so far. For the folks who are arguing against this president at this point, they were going to argue against him no matter what he did. Good point. On the economy, COVID, jobs, and unemployment, let's get your reaction to this statement. Biden says he doesn't see much evidence that COVID unemployment benefits are keeping people from going back to work. Quote, Americans want to work. I think that people who claim Americans won't work, even if they find a good and fair opportunity, underestimate the American people. From Joe Biden. Your thoughts, Bill? Well, there is a reality that if you give people more money to not work, 
you're going to run into a jam. If you're asking people to come back to a job and they're making more money by staying home, many of them are going to decide to stay home. Some of them are going to go back to work. Mm -hmm. I've been listening to a lot of the pundits and how they feel we should take this to the next level. And as a matter of fact, we had a great show with Stephanie Kelton. Last week. Who had a concept called the Federal Job Guarantee, where anybody who was unemployed had a guaranteed job with the government. No more welfare, no more unemployment, just a guaranteed job that would be focused on whatever you were good at. Love it. Now, lots of people could sit back and say, well, that wouldn't work for the following reasons, and they'd come up with a concept why it wouldn't work. Of course. Someone might be disabled or what have you. But in general, I sure liked that concept better than sending people checks for doing nothing. Because frankly, one of the things that is important about the concept of helping people get a better life is to get them used to working, get them used to being productive, get them out in the marketplace, because employers don't like hiring the unemployed. Inevitably, they would prefer to hire someone from another company, a competitor or what have you, who is showing a trend of being employed. So the whole concept of if you're unemployed, you're picked up by the government, you still hone your skills, you're still good at what you do, and you just happen to need some time to find a better situation. I loved that concept of the federal job guarantee much better than the idea. And, and during COVID, I've got to say, one of the things that the government did that I'd have to say was wrong mm -hmm. was they gave, through the stimulus packages, they gave a $600 per week bonus to the unemployed so that when someone wanted to hire their employee back, their employee was making $2,400 more per month than the employer could pay them. Right. And that was a problem. Right. And so you got to take into account motivation. We've got to make sure we're motivating everybody in the right direction. And I'm not sure that just giving people money without some kind of an obligation to get out there and learn something, do something, contribute to society, contribute to a company, better yourself. I'm just not sure that without those things, it's really very productive. No, I like this idea of a federal jobs program, a chance to, to gain self-worth at the same time as making ends meet, an opportunity to be of value to your community. It's good stuff. You know, if someone is a good writer, we find them a good writing position. The argument against this concept of a federal job guarantee is that you then have to have people within the government organization that are sharp and can manage a situation. We're always afraid of that because who's the worst operator of organizations on the planet? Well, it's the U.S. government. Like the post office. Yeah, like the post office. You know, I mean, look at FedEx and UPS compared to the post office. Yeah, absolutely. The efficiencies are night and day. Look at the space program at this point, Bill. Yeah. Exactly. So one of Stephanie's ideas was mm -hmm. that you actually provide people from the government right. to private organizations. Right. And you let them manage those people, and you're basically just a placement service in the government. And I think that that might be a good solution. And we may be able to hire people to be part of an oversight committee to make sure the right people get the right jobs as well. Maybe not government employees. I'm sure in the government there would be an oversight <laughs> committee, there'd be an oversighting of the oversight committee, and there'd be one that is oversighting that committee. The jobs are. Exactly. Okay, so we'll move on to world news and foreign affairs, Bill. Now, this is a big, hot, trending topic on social media. And of course, me being a Twitter user, I see it all the time. 
the Biden Putin versus Trump Putin dynamic. What do you what do you think about that? Any fears with our current president as opposed to our former president regarding that relationship? Well, this is a problem because our show is normally called Meet Me in the Middle. So I'm going to try to look at both sides for a second. First of all, what made me most afraid was Donald Trump in charge of anything. <laughs> second to that shots fired is a concern that we're fanning flames from our current president. But isn't it somewhat refreshing that at least we're getting an honest answer when when Biden was asked, do you think that Putin is a killer? And of course, we, we know what they did to reporters. And we also know what they did to Putin's nemesis. He found himself uh, full of a poison that is uniquely available to uh, Putin and his group. So having a president that has these stones. Mm. Cojones. Cojones. Yeah. I've got to hand him some high grades for actually being honest, because one of the things that we want as an American society is an honest president. It's a refreshing change from the past four years. So I've got to say that I, I like Biden's intentions. I don't like the idea of bringing back a Cold War. Same. I don't really want to fan the flames of that if we don't have to, but I sure trust this president in that relationship a whole lot more than one that appeared to be actually in the pocket of Putin himself. Yeah. All right. So we're moving to a very serious subject here. And this is that a wasn't a serious subject. <laughs> you, you see, you'd think that you'd gone to the lowest point, but till you get to the next tweet. Oh, I, I can go lower. I can go lower, Joey. This one's really this one hits hard. This tweet is not a opinion. This one's just a, a factual statement from a, a friend of mine, political commentator. There were nine mass shootings this past weekend. Peter Dow. Don't respond. Here's one from Anna Navarro from The View, CNN, political pundit. In the last 72 hours in America, over 400 people have been shot or killed, including little kids. We must continue to demand more of some of our politicians who have been bought and paid for by the NRA until they act to address this other epidemic killing Americans. Anna Navarro. Bill? Wow. <clears throat> You're right. You, you, you got darker on me. Let's back up for just a second. Okay. 90% of the American people want some kind of reasonable gun regulation in this country. The only reason why we don't have it is because the NRA is one of the operations that funds the campaign coffers of many of the folks that we've elected to Congress. Hmm. Michael Steele, I think, said it best because he said, we keep on re-electing the people who don't give us what they promised us when we elected them to office. And one of those things is reforming the gun laws. And, you know, I've got to say that generally most American citizens realize that allowing for some kind of protection of yourself is inherent in our constitution. So, okay, you, you, you should be able to bear arms. But what we've been asking for from our government is to present us with less ridiculous equipment that people can purchase or manufacture by going on the internet and, let's say, buying two items, such as these rapid-fire automatic weapons. There's really no reason to have any of that. And the immediate response that we get from the NRA and anybody who is really concerned with not having any change in gun laws in this country is they're trying to take away our guns. Right. It's time for us as a society to stop letting people get away with whatever kind of rhetoric and nonsense they want to present to us that is really designed to make a subject go away 
when what they're saying is ridiculous. We're not trying to take away anybody's guns. Agreed. You know, if you go into Montana, for example, there are people who go deer hunting. Right. And if they don't, the deer population will overwhelm and it'll be a problem. So, okay, you should be able to have some kind of rifle for deer hunting. You should be able to have some kind of gun to protect yourself. But we have to be much, much more diligent in making sure that we are checking the people who are sold guns. We have to be much, much more diligent in making sure that we're not selling guns where the only use for them is something that is clearly inappropriate for society. Nobody's going to walk into a, a forest and use an automatic weapon to hunt deer. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to go out to their clay pigeon sports shooting range and use an automatic weapon to take out a clay pigeon. <laughs> Hello. So what is the reason to have those on the market? Right. The reason that why those still are on the market is because any supposed regulation of gun purchasing in this country is immediately, well, they're trying to take away your guns. We've got to get to the point where we don't stand for that anymore, and we shouldn't stand for politicians who react to that. We didn't elect them to react to that. We didn't elect them to fill their coffers full of election campaign money. We elected them for governance, not for politics. We elected them to govern us. And this is an area where our country has a bruise, a black spot here in this area with how we are treating gun laws in this country. Now, this is not the only problem. Let's be honest. If tomorrow we changed the gun laws and made them more sensible, there are too many guns out there. I don't have an answer with what you do about that. And there are too many people who, frankly, should be diagnosed with a problem before they go out and create a mass shooting situation. And I'm not sure what the answer is to that either. One of Biden's plans with his health care proposal is that we get a little more serious about building the health care organization in this country, which includes mental health. And we have to figure out why there are people who go untreated, undiagnosed and untreated. And we've got to do something about that. We've got to spend the money that it takes to do it because this is getting ridiculous with all these mass shootings. I mean, this is America, for goodness sakes. Why would we allow this to go on any longer than necessary? Well said, sir. Well said. Coming up, more tweets and trends and a bonus. We're going to find out a little bit about Bill's political journey. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Tabak and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurt Co. Media. We continue with political trending topics on social media with our show host in the guest chair today, Bill Curtis. Former Illinois Congressman Joel Walsh is a Republican well-known for openly discussing his regret for supporting Trump, saying Trump's entire life is a lie. He's also known for saying that the Republican Party is a cult. Here's a recent tweet from another well-known conservative voice on Twitter. That the GOP isn't even toying with the idea of finding another candidate or two to run in 24 and is instead totally satisfied with rerunning the guy who lost the White House and Senate in one term tells you it's not a party anymore. It's a cult. From Essie Cup. Now, before you respond, Bill, I'd like you to also weave in a little bit of your political journey as a bonus. 
How much time you got? <laughs> it's a podcast. We do what we want and go as long as we want. Go ahead. Joey. Yeah. I'm a longtime Republican, but my view of what a Republican is or was is different than what we think of as Republican today. My view of Republican is fiscal responsibility, more reasonable discussion of social issues, and now what is thought of as Republican, because I've, I've got a lot of friends who are also confused Republicans. Same. And once upon a time, Republican was really about small government. It was about small taxes, trying to keep regulations at a minimum. And it slowly turned, probably since Reagan, and it's turned into a party that is no longer about governance it is all about politics. Now, I've heard you say that before, but please, for our listeners, a deeper dive. Governance versus politics, Bill. Everything you're hearing from the Republican Party today is politics. None of it is about governance. The people in the Republican Party who were thinking about governing, who were concerned with compromise on social issues and fiscal responsibility when how you spent the money, how you taxed people, keeping government at a minimum. Those people have left. The people in Congress who were what you would call a centrist, they've left because they no longer see it as their party. We've had a bunch of people recently on our show between Bill Kristol and Michael Steele. Michael Steele, they were pretty staunch Republicans. Mm -hmm. And they too have basically fled from the party because the party is no longer the Republican Party that we were familiar with. Now, I have to say that I've probably become somewhat of a social issue Democrat because I am convinced in my older age that it's time for our country to take care of itself and its people. Amen. Create opportunity for those who don't have any. Right care for those who don't have any, mm -hmm. and to be this wealthy a nation and allow people to have no roof over their head or not enough food is pathetic. It's a shame. There are a lot of people who hear something like that and they say, oh, he's gone radical. No, I don't think that we should be taxing crazily in order to do that. I think there are other methods for us to accomplish those goals of taking care of each other. First of all, wouldn't it be nicer if we lived in a country where we actually took care of each other? Where if you pass someone who is clearly homeless, rather than saying, boy, they're making a mess of my, my street here, if we were the kind of people who actually took care of them and found a way to help them rather than just want them to be farther away. I, I can't help but feel like we have problems that we could solve ourselves without government. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying, Bill, but... But what exactly, what do you think happened to the Republican Party? What, this is not the same party I remember. The people who are in charge of the Republican Party, it's not even a cult anymore. There are people who are doing whatever they can to fan the flames of a bonfire that they've created. Wow. They've created a bonfire with 74 million people in this country that believe that anything Democrat or liberal is a disease, it is a problem waiting to happen, that it's communism or socialism, or it's, it's going to cause us terrible problems. When Michael Steele said to us that he knew Donald Trump was going to win in 2016, when a blue-collar woman who cleaned hotel rooms for a living said to him, I'm voting for Donald Trump because he's just like me. Outrageous. You got to wonder, how is a professed billionaire who paints everything gold 
just like a woman who cleans hotel rooms for a living. And there is this crazy image where what prevails is the image and kind of the rah-rah, all the nonsense. I know we're supposed to call it lies, but what it is is creating a kind of an environment where it's not about specifics, it's not about reality, it is just about emotion. Mm. The Republican Party right now is more like the Tea Party. They're just about emotion. They're not paying attention to what it takes to govern the country. I see. And they're not actually thinking about what they can do that is good. They're trying to think about what they can do where they can become more of a pure culture. And the pure culture that they are accomplishing is, in fact, I'd have to say, a lot like Germany in the 1930s. That's a scary thought. They are actually penalizing anyone who doesn't hop on board with whatever kind of nonsense they want to put forth. So right now, Trump is the kind of nonsense that they're putting forth. And if you're not on side, you are shunned. You're, you're run out of town. And the Republicans at this point, they've lost their minds. Which speaks directly to the whole Liz Cheney situation. I have to say, Joey, a lot of the Republican social issues just piss me off at this point. Why <laughs> they have determined that they need to meddle in women's lives and bodies, why they have determined that they need to control or actually push religion, which this country stands on. You're not supposed to push religion on anybody. Right. Um, they're supposed to make up their own minds and they're supposed to follow their own God. And all of a sudden in this, in this country, we've gotten to the point where you have people who are very emotional about the concept of abortion and things like Planned Parenthood, where the organization does so much more than abortions. And it's so much for the people that they serve. And the Republican Party has used them as a kind of a scapegoat to get people on side and argue with something that is actually good for our society. So I haven't seen a lot of moves by Republicans lately, other than maybe Mitt. Oh, he took a beating. He took a, he took a bit of a beating because the Republican Party has lost itself. It isn't what it once was, which was a sensible, thinking, organized group of people who wanted fiscal responsibilities and were willing to argue the points about social. And their concern with a lot of social issues was more of what could be fiscally paid for and what couldn't. Okay, it's meet me in the middle, as you usually say, in the middle of a podcast, no pun intended. But my question is, what about Joe Biden? Any issues with him at all? Well, yeah, the only place I think that he's making a mistake right now is how he's talking about taxes. Stephanie Kelton talked about something called modern monetary theory. The U.S. government is not like you and me, where we have to have a balanced budget. We have to earn a dollar to spend a dollar. She talked about how the U.S. government is a monetary issuer. When they wrote all these uh, multi-trillion dollar stimulus plans, they didn't go out there and take the money from anybody or borrow the money from anybody or tax anybody differently. They basically wrote it down in the ledger and spent the money because they issue currency. Mm. Then what they have to do is make sure that that doesn't result in too much money in the system that they feel creates inflation. Right. So there are other ways to create a hedge on inflation or there are other ways to prevent inflation. For example, you can create more competition. And if you create more competition, let more international competition come in for all things. Right. Make it easier for those who compete to operate. There are ways that you can keep inflation in check. 
So the idea of we're going to tax people for programs that this country sorely needs, because you've got to admit everything in his plan is a good idea. Right. But what people are worried about and a reason why it might not pass is because people are worried about the taxes. And when they say it's only going to hit people who make 400000 or more, it's only going to hit rich people, there's a reality. If you sell your house, your house is probably 400000 or more. So I got news for you. When you sell your house, if you have a total flow of a million dollars, then let's say your house was six hundred, seven dollars or $800,000 and your job $200,000, mm-hmm. guess what? You're not going to be able to have the capital gains that you planned your life around. So they want to change that to the point where you're paying basically 40% capital gains tax, 39.8%. Mm. Plus, you're going to pay Biden's health care 3.5% tax. Plus, if you live in New York or California or a state like that, you're going to pay something between 10 and 12 or 13% tax. You're going to end up with 45% of your money. The problem with it is not how willing we are as a society, because this is a democratic small d society. So the masses can vote that the smaller number of rich people pay the check. The reality, though, is the people who have the most influence in Washington, who might prevent all these good things from happening, Joey, in this infrastructure plan that we sorely need, they're worried about the taxes. So I certainly hope that people like Stephanie Kelton And all of these economists who have a better way to handle the monetary needs for something as productive as the infrastructure package, I hope that they get the ear of Congress. And I hope they have an opportunity to talk to President Biden and talk about the other philosophies other than just taxing people like crazy. I've got to say that I'm concerned that these packages that we need might not go through because they involve such taxes. And I know that it's a small number of people that we're talking about taxing, but those are the people who have the most influence in Washington. Well, that just about covers it for today, but straight ahead, it's a producer's lightning round and Bill's in the hot seat. (laughs) This would be a bad time not to stick around. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co. Media. Currently 21 years old. And today, I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my but dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second Cats device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are... The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in front of you. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkcocom slash a moment of your time. Okay, it's what we've been waiting for. Well, at least it's what I've been waiting for to get Bill Curtis in the lightning round seat. <laughs> and here we go. Don't forget, Bill, like you tell your guests. Keep it quick. Keep it short. It's a lightning round. Here we go. Are you ready? Uh, I suppose. Uh, Joey, I got to go. Oh, (laughs) you're not getting out of the hot seat. All right. So we're going to have some fun now because these were serious subjects and and some just downright just sad. 
Okay, let me sit up and get ready. All right, so the lightning round. This is not going to be that difficult, Bill. You're going to get through this with flying colors. And you take your time. You don't have to go too fast. All righty, hit me. Who was your favorite president in your lifetime and why? And so far, of course, Bill, you got years to go. Reagan, I didn't completely understand all of what he stood for and what his policies were back then. Uh, I was a little ignorant in some of the things that he was doing at the time. I was very happy with what he was doing And believe it or not, I got to add a runner-up until he uh, had a problem with his the fly on in his pants, Clinton, because he was surprisingly and amazingly productive in a lot of his policies. He just had a problem with the zipper in his pants. It's funny how we accepted the problem with the zipper as the decades rolled on, though, right? Well, we don't care about that anymore, obviously. Okay, who's your favorite historical figure? Wow. Good question, or did I stump the master? Give me a minute. So much for the lightning round, folks. (laughs) I like this lightning round because I'm picking a lot of stuff that I don't know about you, and and listeners don't know about you, and you you get to see a little peek into your life. You got one? For me, Socrates. Mm. Socrates would make any statement by realizing that the person that he was talking to, what they said was more important to themselves than what he said. He was always on trial by the way, he was always in trouble. And he realized that the most powerful thing would be a question. The most powerful thing you could say would be a question, not an answer. That an answer was like a dead-end road, and that a question was like a whole series of roads in front of you. And he was capable of outthinking his enemies and asking them questions such that he could almost make them say absolutely anything. And he would defend himself through questions he was absolutely brilliant that way. And, and so I would have to say Socrates. Favorite movie? Oh, Shawshank. Oh, great movie. There's Shawshank and then everything else. Good taste. 1994, you know. that should have won the Academy Award for Best Picture, but it didn't. I believe it lost to Forrest Gump. Am I wrong? Forrest Gump was great. I mean, that was, that was such an amazing movie. Oh, Stuart? It was Forrest Gump. It was Forrest Gump, Stuart. Thank you. And also, Pulp Fiction was on the same... Wow, tough year. That's a good year for movies. Steak or lobster? Oh, both. you got to have both. Otherwise, it's just not <laughs> It's just not right to have to choose. Favorite drink, beer, wine, or bourbon? Um, I would have to say uh, I'm, a, I'm a Napa Cabernet guy. I like a big, loud, fruity Cabernet. What songs, bands, or artists would have been found on a 2004 version of Bill Curtis's iPod? Wow. Uh, first of all, I think the 2004 version of Bill Curtis's iPod held 40 songs. <laughs> um, I think that was its uh, that was its maximum capacity. There would have been uh, probably a bunch of Billy Joel. Uh, there would have, of course, been the best song in the world, "Stairway to Heaven." Mm. There would have been uh, a little bit of Elton John here and there, and there would have been Jonathan Edwards. Lobster, steak, wine, Napa Valley, Billy Joel, Elton John, Jonathan Edwards. Good taste, Bill. Pretty calm stuff. But you know what? There would have been a bunch of Jethro Tull. Oh, I love Tull. But you know who I think is the musician that probably is most ingrained in my soul uh, is Harry Chapin. I grew up near Harry Chapin and, and probably went to, I don't know, 50 or 60 of his concerts. He was the storyteller. And I used to love those stories. And, you know, it was very sad that he had such a, a sudden and, and, and drastic moment leaving the earth. But uh, he, he left us with a lot of wonderful thoughts. Yeah. On his way to Eisenhower Park on the Long Island Expressway. Exactly. And going to do another free show. Social media, good or evil? Reminds me of artificial intelligence, Mm. which starts out 
seeming like it's going to be really good and it can end up uh, in the hands of human beings. It can end up being really evil and used for evil. I'm I'm really worried about how we're just hurling ourselves forward in artificial intelligence and we just don't know what we're going to do when we get there. It's going to be like the dog that caught the car. <laughs> And, you know, we're going to have a mouthful of bumper and find ourselves. It, when you think of social media today and try to picture what it's going to be 30, 40 years from now, it stands to be pretty scary. And I don't think that we control ourselves real well. Some of our development isn't necessarily good for us. Email, that's awesome. Abused. But I think that that saved our ass. Texting, awesome. Smartphones, it would be nice if we put them away once in a while. Agreed. Anything where you can give a platform to the craziest people on the planet and the crazies actually get more attention because they're crazy. You know, the word profound doesn't necessarily mean that it's in a good way. It can be profound in a really bad way and it gets a lot of attention. It's like our politicians have realized that if you're just normal and you have clear thinking and you're a centrist, and you listen to the other side, and you make smart decisions, basically the world forgets you. And the world right now, or our country, reacts mostly to the most outrageous, profound statement you can make, and then you get lots of press. And on social media, unfortunately, I think we find ourselves giving a platform to people who shouldn't have a platform, and making an awful lot of noise where you know, once upon a time, it, I know you're, you're trying to end this and this was the lightning round, but I want to tell you one more story. Oh, no, not at all. I want you to continue because you're bringing us full circle right now. We started with social media. We end with social media. One more story from Bill Curtis, please. Many, many years ago, we had an event in Monaco. Our guest of honor was Walter Cronkite in his later years. It was probably around 2007, maybe. And he sat with us. And we asked him how he felt about where news was going. And he kind of looked down, had a very sad look on his face, and he said, there is no news anymore. People don't know the difference between what is said with a megaphone, which he looked at as the beginning of these news networks and what have you. They don't know the difference between what is said by someone who has done a lot of research and reporting and who considers the news to be sacred, and the person who's just basically running with opinion. He said, in my day, we worked so hard to make sure that no one knew what we thought because no one was tuning in to know what we thought. They were tuning in to find out what happened. And he said, for all my time in the news, I was most proud of the fact that nobody tuned in to know my opinion. They tuned in to know that they would get the straight scoop. And of course, Walter Cronkite was considered the most honest man in America for many years. And he was so sad by what had happened just with the concept of cable news. And now that social media has basically taken cable news to the next level, and there are so many people who get their news from Twitter and from each other. That's why the concept of the big lie, the, the lasers from space, the basement of the pizza restaurant, things like that can survive because in social media, you have people with a very big megaphone and they know that the most outrageous statement gets the most followers and gets the most audience. And that's a terrible grade to give 
our society that that's what we react to. So I'm a little disappointed in where social media has gone, as you can tell, Joey. Oh, I can tell, and I'm right with you, Bill. And the great Walter Cronkite story, who, by the way, retired way too early. Okay, let's go to the last topic. This one's the most polarizing thing on Twitter over the last couple of days. I mean, this is huge. This is about as serious as I'm going to get today. And I hate to do that at the very end of this episode. But Benefer 2.0, yes or no, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are back together after many, many, many years. Is that something worth free rent space in your head or no? Not with me personally, but it's nice to end the show on a, on an up note and uh, nice that they got back together. <laughs> I know a whole lot of people who I wish would get back together. So same here, here to them. May they live a long and happy life, at least for the next, I don't know, six, eight months, maybe. <laughs> we'll do an over under on the next episode. Bill, take us out. You were a great guest. Joey, I'm not really sure how to end the show other than to see whether or not I could burn the tape. I think you're going to be surprised, Bill. Good episode. A lot of fun, insightful. For those of you who are listeners to this show, thanks for listening. I sure had a good time. I hope you did. Thanks to Joey Salvia, our producer and the host of this show, who uh, pushed my butt against the wall a few times today. Big thanks to you, Bill and Stuart. Also, uh, thanks to Stuart Halpern, who's our executive producer for the show. Thanks for joining. This is Politics Meet Me in the Middle, Joey's version. Come back and visit us again. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll see you next week. From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.